Father, as we continue on with our worship here this morning, as we turn to Your Word and the proclamation of Your Word, Father, we do that having come out of a time of worship as we uh, sat under a call to worship, as we have sung together and fellowshiped together, and we have prayed together, Lord God. We have friends, brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving us and serving our children, even as we're in here, uh, young people being taught in the middle school, adults being taught in Bible and life, uh, multiple other things that are likely going on individually and even uh, corporately here in the body of Christ. But now, Lord, for this time, we pray that you would focus our thoughts uh, and our attention to your word and to the proclamation of your word and, uh, Lord, to the application of your word in our lives as well. And, Father, we ask that you would do these good things on our behalf. And in so doing, we pray also, God, that you would be gracious to our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathered in other locations here today, right here on the south side of Indianapolis and abroad. We pray for these friends, these brothers and sisters, God, as they come together and worship, meet them, pour out your spirit, God, we ask, upon your church today. God, may they know the, 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 the sweetness of fellowship, uh, the truth of the gospel as we know it. And Father, may they continue to do the work that you've called them to do, even as we may continue to do the work that you've called us to do here at LifePoint. And so we commend them to you today. We pray for our missionaries, thankful for them and for the work that they are doing on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of the kingdom of God, and on behalf of LifePoint Church as we send them out. And so today, Father, we pray specifically for Nathan Miller, thankful for Nathan's ministry, thankful that he's a young man who grew up right here at LifePoint and then was sent out onto the field and is now serving in the Nuba Mountains, Lord, and, and uh, we pray that you would be gracious to him in that country, Lord God, where the environment towards Christianity is hostile, where the environment toward uh, young men who are followers of Christ like Nathan is hostile. We pray, Father, that you would guard him physically, mentally, spiritually, Lord, that you would work with him and with his co-laborers there, the believers from that nation, as they build this school so that children may be taught and may be educated and equipped. We pray, God, that you would bring more teachers into that, that uh, new facility. We pray, God, that you would give Nathan just uncanny wisdom, Lord, as he sets the foundations and works physically to build that that facility, and then uh, to continue on with the teaching there. Lord, for every opportunity that he has to share the gospel, we pray that there would be fruitfulness in his life and in his ministry, and that those who come into contact him would know, God, there's something different about that young man. And then they would hear it with their own ears, and that we would see people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, let there be a sense of unity and love amongst the faculty that are being assembled for that new school. Give uh, Nathan great wisdom, Lord, as he oversees all these things. We're thankful for our partnership and ministry with him. We're thankful for his willingness to go and to serve. And now we pray, Lord God, that you would bless both sides of that equation, that we might send well and that he might serve well for the kingdom of God. And so we commit him to you and all of our missionaries to you this morning as well. Lord, we pray for the Sutherland family. We pray, God, that you would be gracious to them, be gracious to Heather, be gracious to their children. Father, that you would be a husband and a father to them, and that you would help us as a church family to come alongside them and to serve the way that we are called to serve and to be, to be ministering to them the way that we are called to minister to them. So God, give us a heart for that, 
And we pray that you would just surround that family with your grace and with your love today and into these coming days. Now, Father, as we turn to your word, meet us in your word. Teach us through this text in Habakkuk, Father. Holy Spirit, come. Illuminate us. Help us to be doers of this word and not just hearers of it, Lord. Don't let us be people who look in the mirror and see our reflection and then walk away and forget what we look like. But to be those who hear the word, apply the word, and then are changed and transformed by the word of God. I pray that for us here, individually, corporately. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. All right, let's turn to our text this morning. It comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 17. And if you've been here, you know this has been, it's been a bit of a grueling uh, walk through Habakkuk, right? I mean, there's not been a lot of positive things to talk about here. That's coming. Uh, today we're going to talk about four woes that God speaks to the Babylonians particularly, particularly, but also speaks, I think, to us here in the 21st century as well. Now, this text really has five woes to it, uh, but what I have done is I've taken four of them, and we're going to preach on that this week, and then next week we're going to look at the fifth woe, uh, and, and that woe deals directly with idolatry, and we're just going to talk about what idolatry looks like in our world and our lives uh, as well. And so I've kind of split this text up, uh, uh, not arbitrarily, but so that we could look at these four woes and then, and then uniquely, I think, at the, at the fifth woe that we'll deal with next week. And then, praise God, after that we get into chapter 3 and the, the clouds begin to depart and the sun rises and we begin to see some of the, the fruitfulness of Habakkuk's uh, conversation with the Lord and how uh, and why the Holy Spirit has, has deemed it wise for us to have this in our Bibles today and to be able to read from this prophecy of Habakkuk. And so that's kind of where we're headed today. Four woes in chapter 2, verses 6 through 17. Four woes directed towards the Babylonians collectively again. And then I think for all of us uh, who, who have chosen to live by this worldview. Whether we're followers of Christ or not, now this may be something that you would say, well, non-believers will live by this worldview, but there are many believers who at least take aspects of this worldview and we incorporate it into our lives. Whether we want to, right, we may see it as something we don't want to do, but we find ourselves gravitating towards these things anyway. And so we want to address those into our own lives as well. And we want to recognize, friends, that this world is not the dwelling place of righteousness. That is coming that world is coming. We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth, right? Where righteousness dwells. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord does not deal with injustice right here on this side of heaven. He does. And sometimes it doesn't work the way we want it to, and sometimes it's not as quick as we'd like to see it. That's certainly true for Habakkuk. But God does deal with injustice and unrighteousness on this side of heaven as well. And so today's takeaway, before we even get into the text, is simply this, friends, that we would live opposite of the Babylonians. And that may be the last time you're ever going to hear that teaching, right? Live opposite of the Babylonians. We should be different than that people group. We should live different lives than them and any who live like them, because even though this is taking place 2,700 years ago, 2,600 years ago, there are still people who are incorporating this worldview and this lifestyle and nations who are building themselves up in this type 
of manner. We are to pursue Christ. We are to pursue faithfulness, humility, and charity. That's what God has called us to as His people. So let's look to the text this morning, and we'll draw what we can from this text. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 17. Again, if you're new here, you're new to your Bibles, this is in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. It's part of a section we call the Book of the Twelve, or the Twelve Minor prophets. We don't call them minor because they're less important than the major prophets. The major prophets' books are bigger, and uh, therefore they are the major prophets, and then we have the minor prophets. And Habakkuk's kind of squeezed right in the middle of that towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you want to wander around in your paper Bible for that, feel free to do that. We've also got it up on the screen for you here this morning. But let's stand together. Let's honor the Lord as we read from His Word today. Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 6. Here the word of the Lord. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? Him is a personification of Babylon. With scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities, and to all who dwell in them. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so for woes, God, through Habakkuk, to the Babylonians who are God's instrument of justice against the southern kingdom of Judah, His people, the people of Israel. And yet God has something to say to these Babylonians, right? Habakkuk is confused. He's perplexed that God is going to use an unrighteous nation to punish Judah. Now, he's already acknowledged that Judah is an unrighteous nation as well, Habakkuk has. In fact, he's told us in chapter 1, he can't stand living amongst his own people. There's so much injustice. There's so much violence. There's so much going on in Judah. Now God has said, I have an answer for that. And the answer, I will bring this nation, this, this, these Babylonians who are just now building their empire, and I will bring them swiftly to Judah, and I will have them decimate my people. And of course, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know what Habakkuk's response to that is. No, not that. Not that. Yes, I want to see justice in Judah, but I don't want to see it at the hand of the Babylonians. God, how could you even think about doing that? Taking an unrighteous people to punish an unrighteous people. And so here's the woes now that God has to say to the Babylonians themselves. Woe number one, woe to the plunderers. 
verses 6 through 8. Friends, plunderers get plundered. That's the way of the world. It's the way of the nations. Violence begets violence, harm for harm. The law of lex talionis is at work in our world, and that law simply says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? Lex talionis is just Latin for the law of the claw, right? You knock out my tooth, I knock out your tooth, right? You destroy my house, I destroy your house. That's how it works in a fallen world. That's the economy that we have, we have inherited as we were born into a fallen world. And it's not pleasant. And it's been going on since time immemorial, this type of plundering and then being plundered. The Assyrians were a great and mighty kingdom, an empire. They ruled most of the known world for a while. And those Assyrians were brutal, brutal people. They destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They took them into captivity. But waiting in the wings were the Babylonians. And they're the ones who are rising to power now in the time of Habakkuk. And so the Assyrians were overwhelmed by Babylon. And Babylon was overwhelmed by the Medo-Persians. And the Persians were overwhelmed by the Greeks. And the Greeks were overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the Romans. And the Romans by the Visigoths. And on and on it went. Great kingdom and great empire after empire. Some of them existing hundreds and hundreds of years building up the wrath of God against them for their injustice, for their violence, for the way that they treated other people, for the way that they treated the animal kingdom, for the way that they treated this planet, for their lack of concern for the environment that God had created and said, it's good. And now many are saying, oh no, Jim's going to start talking about environmentalism. I'm not going to do that. I don't believe our world's about to end in six years, right? I do not believe that this, earth, this world ends by the boiling of the, of, the, of the seas because of global warming. But I do believe that many in the church have gone to the opposite extreme, right? And now we think, well, we can do anything we want to this environment. But that's not true either. Right? This is just how we are as people. We tend to polarize everything. We either think we can do anything or we can do nothing, but we've been placed as stewards over God's creation, the creation that he declared to be good. And the Babylonians didn't care about creation. They didn't care about the animal kingdom. They just destroyed everything in their path. God was watching. God saw that destruction. God saw the way they treated people and animals and this planet. And he was watching all of those things. And so as nation rises and then the nation, other, other nation comes and plunders that nation and then another nation comes and plunders that nation and we see this cycle going over and over and over again and there's always something to fill in the gap, isn't there? There's always something to fill in the gap, whether it's in nations or in families or in individuals. There's always somebody rising up to take that position. Why? Because nature abhors a vacuum, that's why. Because you can't have nothing going on. There's always somebody rising up to fill in the vacuum, right? The Roman Empire finally falls. It's the Visigoths who are now going to reign, right? But the Visigoths are not going to last very long. And then you're going to have a holy Roman Empire that will come around for the next four or five hundred years. A holy Roman Empire that was neither holy nor was it Roman. This is what we call it, the holy Roman Empire. All these things coming up, nations rising, it's happening to this very day, friends, Open up a newspaper, if anybody still does that, or turn to the, to the news, 
or open up a web page and you will see nations rising and falling, nations plundering and getting ready themselves to be plundered because that's how our world works in this fallen world that we have inherited from our own forefathers that we have perpetuated ourselves. The Babylonians were God's instrument of justice against a wicked nation, and that was the people of God, the southern kingdom of Judah. But that does not mean that the Babylonians were not exceedingly wicked. They were exceedingly wicked. And the fact that God will use them to discipline Israel does not mean that Babylon is not brazenly prideful and an unjust nation. And they who will plunder the southern kingdom of Judah will eventually be plundered themselves. This is how it works. And God sees this. This is part of God's economy in a fallen world. And this is the warning to the Babylonians, which they will not heed. This is the warning to the people of Israel, which they've already rejected and will now come under condemnation and judgment. And friends, this is the warning to you and me as well. Not just to our nation, but to you as an individual as well. Because there are things that will take your place one day as well, right? You will rise up and you will try to build your kingdom, particularly those of us who do not know Christ, but your kingdom will fall. It will fall. Right? You may decide you're going you're gonna to reject a, a, a spouse and you're going to go to another one, but, but that's not going to last forever either, right? That's just the way it goes, and I'm not trying to condemn everybody's divorce in here. I'm not trying to do that at all, but we just have to know. We always seem to think there's something better but that's also going to fail eventually. And I'm not saying the marriage is going to fail. I'm, going to, I'm saying we will eventually die. These things do not last. We cannot perpetuate our own kingdoms. We can't do it. Nations can't do it. Individuals can't do it. And God is simply speaking to the Babylonians and bringing before them the reality of their injustice and the reality of their ability to build up their own kingdom. Woe, he says to the plunderers, because you will be plundered. And then woe to the extortioners, verses 9 through 11, those who provide riches for themselves while causing others to suffer, because those who suffer, they will eventually cry out to the Lord, and God hears when people are crying out to Him. He hears those who are suffering. He hears those uh, hundreds and maybe thousands of young ladies who were trafficked during the World Series that we were, most of us, watching and enjoying. God hears their cries. He sees that injustice. And although we may not see an end to that in a fallen world, He is going to bring to justice those who perpetuate these crimes and these sins. Friends, God sees these things. And that's both good news and bad news, isn't it? Because he sees it and it means he's going to do something about it. But when we're the ones perpetuating it, he sees that too. God sees all of these things. Friends, justice doesn't always wait for eternity. Sometimes, by God's own providence, he brings justice in this world. He hears the cry of people and he brings about justice. Look what God says here in Exodus as he speaks about his own law. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? 
And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Take the pledge if you think you need the pledge, right? Here's some money, but I need this in return, and if you don't pay me back, then I get to keep this. But under God's economy and under his law, right? This is the the God that so many would say is an unjust God, and he's so mean. This is the God in the Old Testament under his own law who said, you take a coat from somebody, and you say, I'm going to keep this as a pledge that you're going to pay me back. You better give it back to him before the sun goes down. And there are so many who would say, well, that's not a very good pledge. And I think God's answer is, I don't care about your pledge. I don't care about whether or not you're going to get paid back. You don't take the coat of somebody who's poor, and that's the only thing they can sleep in, and then keep it overnight because they haven't paid you back by the end of the day. There's a difference between God's economy and the world's economy, friends. There's a difference between a God of justice and a world of injustice. And we're seeing that here in our text today. God is saying to the Babylonians and to all who share that worldview, that is not the way it's done in the kingdom of God. That's not how we live as followers of Jesus Christ, friends. As we we look through this litany of the crimes of the Babylonians against the nations and against individuals as well. Woe, God says, to plunderers. Woe, God says, to those who extort others. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, the sins of some are obvious, he says, right? They go before them into judgment. We all look at them and we all know that's sin, that's wrong. But the sins of others, he said, they trail behind them and they're awaiting judgment. Both sides are going to be judged. Some, that judgment is clear. It's even clear to a fallen world, right? We look at it and we say, that is wrong. Even non-believers look at that and say, that's unjust. But some of this stuff, people hide really well. But don't think it's not trailing behind them. Don't think it won't be accounted for one day as well, friends. God is reminding the Babylonians, some of this stuff is just obvious, and some of it we cannot see. But you will be judged for both of these types of behaviors in your lives and as you build up your nation. Keep in mind, the Babylonians are not the predominant nation at that time. This is coming in the future. They are just now kind of getting their footing as God is speaking to Habakkuk. Psalm 15, the psalmist reminds us that those who will ultimately stand before the Lord one day and be counted as righteous and just are those who do not slander people, he says, are those who actually despise wicked people. They despise wicked people. They despise the wickedness of wicked people. But they honor those who fear the Lord. They have an affinity towards those who love God. These are the people who will stand before Christ one day, who keep their oath, even when it's to their own hurt, he says, who say something and say they'll do it, and even if things turn out in a way they didn't plan it to turn out, will keep that oath anyway, even if it costs them money. Even if it costs them harm to themselves, they keep their oaths. They lend their money, he says, without usury, which is just an old English term that means without high interest, without trying to rob people who are at a desperate point in their lives. Friends, this is all the money lenders out there, not all of them, I suspect, but so many of them, right? The payday advances. Sure, we'll give you some money up front. We care a lot about you. You'll pay us 25% in return. That's called usury. That's unjust. It should be illegal. But we live in a fallen world. And God says those who live that type of life will stand before him one day. Who will stand before the Lord one day justified? 
those who will not accept a bribe against the innocent, the psalmist says, who will not justify themselves or build themselves up at the hurt of an innocent person. These are the ones that the psalmist says will not be shaken. They will not be shaken because of the way that they are living their lives. This is how followers of Jesus Christ should live, friends. This is an example for us of how we should live by giving us the opposite example of how we should not live. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Eventually, when we live this way, verse 11 tells us, the very stones in our walls and the beams from our woodwork will be speaking to one another, right? It's, it's a personification. The, the, the writer here, or God speaking to Habakkuk, isn't saying that the, the bricks actually talk and the wood actually talks. He's simply saying, these Babylonians, they've built up their homes and their palaces. How? They've robbed people of their own homes. They've taken stone and masonry from those homes and great beams from those homes, and they've transported them to Babylon, and they've built their own home as if that home's going to last. And God says, that's not going to happen. The stones in the wall will cry out. The wood beams that you have stolen will respond, and they will speak about your injustice. And then eventually, somebody's going to come tear down your house, and they're going to take your stones and your beams that were somebody else's, and they're going to use them to build up their own empire. That's the way of the world. That's how it works in a fallen world. So woe to the plunderers. Woe to the extortioners. Woe to the prideful, verses 12 through 14. Building up our own reputations by tearing others down, friends, is a practice in futility. It never lasts. It always comes back upon us. Those who spend our lives building up our own personal empires will find that we built it up only for it to be consumed by the fire. This is the meaning of that text there when he says that they are building for flames. It's simply in our word today, in our, uh, uh, the way we would speak today, we say it's fuel for the fire. They're building up their own reputation. They're building up their own house. They're building up their own way of life. And it's just, it's just fuel for the fire. It will not last. It cannot last. It is unjust. And God will see this injustice, and he will do something about this injustice, either on this side of heaven or as we enter into an eternal kingdom. But all of this stuff is being seen by God, and all of this stuff will be responded to by God. The Babylonians took entire nations, and they enslaved them. Generally speaking, they took the men and they slaughtered them, oftentimes in front of their families. Then they took the women and they used them as sex slaves. And then they took the children and they took them back to their kingdom to be raised like Babylonians and to be built up so that they could also become the armies of the future and also that they could uh, build up the nation. This is how war was fought in those days. It was gruesome. It was brutal. And every nation was doing it. This is how you fought wars. This is what it's like, again, in a fallen world. But the Babylonians were beyond the pale in these things. And we can see from even extra biblical texts of how they treated people. They treated people like slaves. Now, here's the interesting things, friend, uh, thing that I think we need to understand. We're all slaves. Right? And I'm not trying to make some great poetic or philosophical statement here. The fact of the matter is, is there's no self-made man or woman. It just doesn't, it's not real. It's all illusory. We're all serving somebody, right? And I've used this quote, I'll bet, a dozen times over the years here. Bob Dylan, right? 
You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We're serving somebody, friends. All of us are. From the self-made millionaire and billionaires of today to everybody else. We're all serving somebody. We're either serving Satan or we're serving the Lord. There's no in-between here. There's nobody who has made their own path. We're all serving somebody. We're either slaves to depravity or we are slaves to Jesus Christ and his justice and his hope. Either Satan is our master or Christ is our master. We look at the text of the scripture and we say, but we see these rags to riches story, these men, these self-made men, almost always men in the biblical narrative, self-made men, right? Joseph, self-made man, right? Look at Joseph, rags to riches, actually riches to rags to riches if we want to look at Joseph's life closely. And he spends about 17 years suffering and suffering and suffering, but he rises to power, doesn't he? Second in command of all Egypt, the greatest empire of the world of that day. It too was plundered eventually. Second in command of all Egypt. And when it's all said and done at the end of the day, who is Joseph? What kind of a man is Joseph? Joseph, at the end of the day, is a slave. That's what he is. Have you thought about that? He's still a slave. He's just an incredibly wealthy and powerful slave. But if he wasn't a slave, he'd have gone back to Canaan to his family. Why couldn't he go back to Canaan? Because he's a slave. That's why. He's a slave to Pharaoh. We're all serving somebody. And we think we're building up our kingdom, but we're not. We all think our kingdom's going to last, but it won't. Friends, God is just speaking through Habakkuk absolute truth to us. And at some point, genuine followers of Christ, we got to get our minds wrapped around this reality, right? We're not fixing this world. We're not making everything better. You cannot dream the impossible dream. I just saw a sign the other day for some local university that says, if you want it, you can have it. Or not. It just doesn't work that way. We don't get to declare things and then they come to pass. God gets to do that. Everybody else, including Satan, we don't get to do that. There's one entity in the universe that can do that. It is the Lord God. Everybody else cannot say, if I want it, I can have it. And I guarantee you that university will not come through on that wish. It's just impossible, friends. God hates the pride that comes from slaves. God hates the pride that looks up to him and says, I can do this myself. God hates the pride that says, I did do this myself. The writer of Proverbs says there are six things the Lord hates. Then he has to stop and think about it, and he says, no, there's seven. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, that just means proud eyes. We've seen it in people before, right? We've had proud eyes ourselves sometimes. Know this, it's detestable to God when we do that. When a slave acts like a master, when somebody who does not control their own destiny pretends like they're controlling their own destiny. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are quick to rush into evil, 
How often have we seen that in the last 10 years in America, right? The police cruisers on fire, Molotov cocktails are being thrown, and people are running to the scene, right? Running to the evil, running to the chaos. It's detestable to God, that type of chaos, that type of behavior. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A heart that devises wicked schemes. A man who, who bears false witness and pours out lie after lie, God says. And a man who sows dissension among those who are living in harmony. A man who sows dissension among brothers and sisters. Six things God hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Do you notice something in that list of seven? There's not one sexual sin in there. That's the one we usually put at the top, right? If it has to do with sex, that's the worst kind. Now, is what the Bible's saying, and what am I saying, go ahead and commit adultery, because God doesn't detest that. Go ahead and continue on with your fornication. Homosexuality's fine, do whatever you want to do with your body. I am absolutely not saying that, and neither are the scriptures, friends. But we tend to take certain things and we raise them up, and then all the things that we do, those are fine, or at least they're hidden, and nobody knows about them. But there's six things that God hates, friends. There are seven that are absolutely detestable to Him. And what do they involve? They involve almost always elevating ourselves and denigrating others. God hates that. They're detestable to Him. And that was the life of almost every Babylonian and certainly the life of the Babylonians themselves as a nation or as an empire. All of this empire building will come to an end Friends, at the best, it has a lifespan of about 75 or 80 years, right? Build up your kingdom. You only get a certain amount of time to do that, right? Only a certain amount of time to build up your kingdom. First of all, you got to get old enough to start doing that. And in, in those days, you would have had to have been an adult. Today, teenagers can build up kingdoms, usually by dancing around on a stage and everybody paying to watch them dance around on a stage, right? And they become millionaires and billionaires, but usually it takes some time. And even if you manage to pull it off by the time you're 15, what's the span of life you've got? At best, you've got 75 or 80 years here, friends, to build up your empire. That's what you get. And then you die, and somebody plunders your empire. It's somebody else's. And you're gone. You've gone, as the Bible says, the way of all flesh. And you can't fix it, and you're not coming back to fix it. It's just gone. It's really just high time we all understood that. And God is saying to Habakkuk, you're so upset about this, but the Babylonians will also fall, <laughs> right? They're going to build up a great kingdom, and they're going to come, and they're going to act as my hand of judgment against my people. But they're going to fall too. And then the ones who, who plunder them, they're going to fall too. And then they're going to fall, and then they're going to fall. And every individual who makes up these kingdoms and empires, they're all going to fall. They're all going to go the way of all flesh. This is just life in this world, friends. So woe to the prideful and the sadistic, to those who destroy. Woe to the violence. Verses 15 and 17, the Babylonians, like the Assyrians before them, were sadistic in their violence and their destruction, friends. They didn't just defeat armies. They humiliated people. They slaughtered men on the battlefield. Every nation does that. But the Babylonians, they loved to mock their enemies as well. If you want to 
read some gruesome reading, read some of the animal, animals, annals, you can find them on the internet, of some of the old documents from Babylon and how they treated their enemies. They decimated cities. They raped the women. They killed. They destroyed. They took into bondage and into captivity. It was horrific what they did. And this was coming down on Judah. And God tells Habakkuk, there's nothing you can do about that, Habakkuk. Judah's violence and their injustice will now be paid for on this side of heaven. But it doesn't mean the Babylonians are good people. They're not. They have a worldview that is a crushing worldview that will also bring them down to the pit as well. They mocked and humiliated. They stripped naked and paraded in front of their own people as they brought their prisoners back to their cities. Friends, when Jesus was put on a cross, they stripped him naked. They didn't do that because they needed to do that. They did it to humiliate him. That's what they did in those days. There used to be a time, friends, in this world to parade yourself naked in front of everybody. It was shameful. But that day's passed in our culture. Now we pay to go see it. And those people who provide that entertainment, they tell us they're trying to develop the character, right? You need to see me naked in this film. You need to see me in intimate situations because it's developing the character. Now, you already know this, but let me just say this as clear as I can from the pulpit. Almost every man who goes to see those films, they don't care about the development of character. <laughs> they care about gazing upon someone's nakedness. And in our culture now, many women as well. It's not about character development. It's about taking something that was once shameful and is no longer shameful anymore. This is the progression of our world, friends. And God sees this. He sees all of these things. He also sees the disdain for humankind by the Babylonians. He sees their disdain for the animals. They were fearful of the animals in the, in the forests of Lebanon. And so what did they do? They just killed them all. They just killed all the animals. There used to be lions there. There used to be bears there. They're not there anymore. They haven't been there for a thousand years, for 2,000 years. They were just decimated. God saw what they did to the environment. They, they stripped the forests of Lebanon bare and replaced it with nothing. God sees all of this destruction and this violence. He's taking note of all of it, and he tells Habakkuk, I'm not sitting back idly. Your fear and your indignation, I share that indignation with you. And I will bring upon the Babylonians what I'm bringing upon the people of Judah. And I will bring upon the Medo-Persians what they brought upon the Babylonians. And I will bring upon the Greeks what they brought upon the Medo-Persians. And on and on and on and on. And so now are you thoroughly depressed? Friends, let me now show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or a woman, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, love abide. But what? The greatest of these is love. This is the more excellent way. This is what Christ has called us to, friends. He's told us to take what the Babylonians are doing and to reject it as the foolishness of this world, to take all the kingdom building collectively and individually and set it aside, to take all of our haughty eyes, our proud eyes, and stop being proud, to stop thinking that we can build up our own kingdom that will last forever because it will not, and to turn to a God who has given us life and hope in Jesus Christ. Friends, in Christ, life is significantly different. It's significantly different. And for us to open our eyes and look at ourselves and see that we are fighting a sinful nature. We're fighting a sinful nature, or we should be. Once I prayed, the poet says, I knew not what I said. Show me myself, O Lord. Alas, I did not dread the hideous sight which now I shudder to behold. Because I knew not self aright. And I was shown in answer to this prayer, step by step, to see this wretched heart laid bare. Then I prayed, stay, Lord, I cannot bear the sight. And pityingly, his hand was stayed. And now I pray, I know this prayer is right. Show me thyself, O Lord. Be to my soul the bright and morning star, and shine upon this grave of self, and lead my heart from earth afar, from earth afar. It means looking inward to ourselves and seeing a hideous sight outside of Jesus Christ and turning to Christ, who gives us hope, who talks about justice here and justice there, who has called us to live differently. Because we can live differently, friends. Some of you are here and you don't know Christ. What shall you do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because love believes all things. So believe on Christ. And let the Spirit of Christ come upon you. And it will. He will. Come upon you. And change you from the inside out and transform you. 
And then you won't have to work up repentance. You will want to repent. It will come naturally to you. And you will give yourselves over to a holy and just God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, so you don't have to be caught up in this world like this anymore, friends. That's hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. And it can be yours today. It can be yours today. Because the grace of God that brings salvation to all people has appeared. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us because the grace of God isn't just a free ticket to heaven, friends. It is a working grace, and it's teaching us, and it's building us up, and it's molding us into the image of Christ. And it's telling us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and just lives in this world as we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are truly his, eager to do what is just, eager to do what is right. That's what God offers us today, friends. That's hope in Jesus Christ. Remember this, friends, pride goes before destruction, and the, pride, the proud are brought down to humility in this world and in the world to come. But there is a better way to live life. Live differently than the Babylonians. Live opposite the Babylonians and people like them. Pursue Christ, faithfulness, humility, and charity. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would help us to do that because we cannot do it on our own. I cannot do it on my own. We cannot work ourselves up to this, God. We cannot turn over a new leaf and say, it's all going to be better. We need Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God. Help us to see our need and to cry out for a Savior so that we may know justice in this world and in the world to come. And God, that we might be part of a solution in this world and not just a part of an ongoing and perpetual problem in this world. God, would you do that for us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.